Let's give God some praise in the house today. Come on. You, you can be seated. i uh, got some guys helping to bring out a uh, little bit of a set here for us so we can be seated while they're putting that all in position. Uh, excited about today's guest. Uh, you are, I'm just strapped in. Uh, I don't, the hard thing is I wish we had like two hours because once you hear him start telling stories, uh, you're going to be like, uh, come on, tell us some more. So we'll see how many stories we, we can tell here in the limited time that we have. But if you would, would you just welcome Pat Bradley from Crisis A? Come on, Pat. So uh, Pat and I and Laura met um, in February when Laura and I were in Ethiopia and we heard about the ministry that you're doing to the girls, uh, rescuing them out of uh, what most categorize as sex trafficking, but you really kind of use the term more sex slavery. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in just a moment. But before we get to that, I just, would you could kind of give everybody uh, just a 30,000 foot view. This guy does so, has so many projects. How many projects did you start during COVID? Oh, wait, I think, is your, is your microphone not on? Let me see. I may have, uh, yeah, they turned it off on you. Okay, so. Uh, Started seven new projects since COVID. Two here in the States and five in Ethiopia. So when everybody else is thinking, well, 2020's a wash, <laughs> this guy's launching like seven brand new projects. But give us an overview, because most people don't know what Crisis Aid is and what you guys do. Kind of an overview of what your ministry is and what you're involved in, it's a lot. Yes, um, the short version is uh, we, um, we rescue family and children from life and death situations and girls from sexual slavery, and we do that through a number of projects, such as education projects, um, homes for girls from the red light district, and um, food, we have food programs, where right now we're feeding about 12,000 people. No, gosh, with COVID, it's like 50,000 people a month right now we're feeding. Wow. Uh, water projects, uh, we built two pediatric hospitals, and. A number of other things but everything crisis aid does it fits under and we exist for uh to save lives to save souls and to change futures that's our vision that's our purpose so everything we do fits underneath that and so that's a pretty broad cloth and, and it's like you know what god just lets us do the things that we see before us and he blesses it all so yeah and you say we and you have so many people that are involved that are are helping uh your team here in the States, how many people do you have in the States that are a part of your, your staff and your group? We have a total of 10 on, on our staff in St. Uh, Louis. And then in East Africa? When education's, when the school system's in, we are about 200 people. Okay, so when you hear this, this is like, you know, so many organizations doing so many great things around the world, uh, and you think, oh, so uh, Pat joined this amazing organization, or he just happens to be a missionary. Uh, he's been, you know, he's, he's decided, you know, he's got this great calling on his life, and you're just going to, you know, forsake all for the cause of Christ, which you obviously have. But it's not like you're a pastor or you're a missionary. So I want you to back up a step here uh, and just tell everybody kind of your humble beginnings, your, your background, and what God rescued you from first. Well, um, my background is this. I was an alcoholic, and I was a really bad alcoholic, and I had a wife and two children, and my wife got fed up with me and kicked me out of the house, and so my next step was to go live underneath the bridges, um, but God got a hold of me, and I had given my life to, and this was a couple years later, God I gave my life to Christ. I got saved, 
I heard the gospel for the first time like I've never heard it. And um, my wife, my ex-wife and I were in church. It was real, kind of a funny because I went to church there to try to get, uh, to prove my wife was in a cult. You know, because people were, like, <laughs> raising their hands and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go there. And what happened was I ended up getting saved. And so, long story short, God restored our marriage. We got remarried six months later. And, um, and know this. This is how, like, so God does the impossible, right? So I am no different than anybody sitting in here. You've got to understand that. I was an alcoholic. And when I went to church, this doesn't sound very godly, but I would, I would have rather spit on my wife than look at her. I hated her so bad. And I walked into church with that attitude. Wow. But God, six months later, restored our marriage, and now she's my best friend. That was, I'm not going to tell you how many years because it's way too many years to commit. Come on, tell us how many, how many? <laughs> uh, like 40. Let's celebrate that. <laughs> Come on, that's uh... Yeah. And, um, but God gave us a heart for missions. God touched our heart for missions as a result of us getting, you know, me getting saved. And, um, and you were started. And really, you were just sitting in church. Yeah, I was sitting in church. And that's when yeah. God kind of began to speak to you. God did start to as speak. As a businessman. As, yeah, I was a businessman. I was a marketing advertising. So I've got, um, had a marketing advertising company for about 35 years, which I no longer have. And, um, but I spent, you know, my career was a businessman. It wasn't a missionary. It wasn't a pastor. I didn't have a call. I, I don't like to use that word of calling a God on my life because it tends to separate us. You know, it, it tends to separate us. It, it puts, oh, well, they're calling a God on my life. It's because he's a pastor or right. he's this or he's that. But we all have that calling of God on our life. Yeah. It's one of those church terms that we subconsciously go, I'm pulling back because mm. I don't have a calling. I'm going to tell you something. Everyone in this room has a calling of God on your oh, life. Oh, man, that is good. And if you don't, if you don't acknowledge that, the day will come when you stand before God and he's going to go, why didn't you believe me? You can come into heaven, sure, but why didn't you believe me hmm. that I did have a calling? So let's take that word calling out, if you don't mind. I don't like yeah. it. It separates us. We're all in this thing together. Yeah, we like to say this is we're all called. We are all called, yeah. Yeah. and we all, have, we all have a cause, and we have a career that God wants to ignite us with. And sometimes what happens is your cause and your career, they collide, and they cross, and then we call that vocational ministry. So me as a pastor, it just crossed. And all of a sudden, I found myself in vocational ministry, but we're all in ministry. Turn to somebody and say, you're a pastor. You're a pastor, yeah. and you're a pastor. We're all, we're all in ministry together, and you're going to find I mean, this is what we are about at Core Church. It's about all of us together. So we met you when we were in Ethiopia, and we heard about the, the way in which you were rescuing these girls out of sex trafficking in East Africa. And so we didn't, we didn't want to go down on the red light district. I think you, everyone would understand that. We did not want to go down where this was happening to these girls, but I felt like it was a disservice and I was dishonoring them by not going. And so you took us down there. Um, the only way I know how to describe it is um, it's hell on earth. It, it, if you ever, it is the most evil. It is the presence of demonic activity, and you can feel it, and you can sense it. And if you ever wonder, is hell to come? No, come on, people. Hell is already happening. I guess the problem with the Christian church sometimes, that's a problem with me, is I think hell is something to come later. Are you kidding me? Hell is now. Hell is happening right now, and God's saying, no, I'm not separating just at the end. Right now, what I'm trying to do is rid hell right now. 
And he wants to use you and me to do that. And so I'm not supposed to be talking that much. So back up a little bit. But, but he's using you. So we meet you. We go down there. Uh, to date, when did you start rescuing these girls out of um, sex slavery? When was that? December of 2007, we rescued our first girl. Okay. And since 2007, how many girls have you been able to rescue out of that? More than 1,400. Wow, come on, let's celebrate that. That's amazing. Over 1,400 girls have been rescued. But uh, when you hear his story, when you hear Pat's story, you go, man, good for him. Man, but that could never be me. I mean, man, starting a ministry like that, man, that's so neat that people do that, but, but not me. But that's not how it started with 1,400 girls. It started with, with one girl. Will you tell us that story of how this whole thing got started yeah. almost accidentally so to speak it was yeah so, it wasn't an accident but you know what i mean it sure seemed like it at the time yeah <laughs> we were talking to a guy in uh, in addis ababa and he had a ministry to st- uh, street children and we're having this conversation learning about what he does and i heard his voice just speak to me loud and clear like you can hear me now it's one of the very few, few times i've actually say i've heard something and i heard his, his voice say ask him about prostitution and, you know, you would think, well, that's the devil. But I knew it wasn't. I knew it was God. And, and so I did. And I asked him about prostitution. And so he told me about this big red light district. And I said, well, will you take us there tonight? Because we were leaving the country the next day. And he said, sure, if you really want to go. I go, yeah, I want to go. And so that night we went in there. And um, like Pastor said, it's like hell. But it's like it, there's, it's, there's no running water. There's no sewage. There's very little electricity. And it just it stinks and it's there's little children running around and what i've learned is that these mothers when they've got these kids that are two three four five years old they get accustomed and they put them under the bed and so now she's got to do this and she's a sex slave and she's got a child under the bed all this is going on and it's assaulting our senses and we're like you just don't know what to think or what to do and all of a sudden we came across these five girls and we start talking to them and um my message was really, really simple. It was like, you know what? God has a better plan for your life. Would you like to hear? And I didn't, I didn't plan that to come out of my mouth. It just started to come out of my mouth. And, and so we said, well, can we go in, your, in one of those rooms? Because we're kind of drawing a big crowd because we're the only white people that have ever been in this part of, um, in this red light district. And so as we're talking, as we're walking in, I turn around and look, and I saw this one young girl coming down. And I kind of want to go into details and paint a picture so you understand the significance of, of something that took place that night. And so she's walking down. And I said to our translator, ask her if she wants to come in. And so she did. And she said, sure. She didn't know. I mean, she's just like, you want to come in and listen to what this guy has to say? Well, sure, I'll do that. And, and she comes in. But she didn't know the other five. The other five were friends and they knew each other, but she didn't know anyone. And so she was in there. So after about five minutes of talking, you kind of run out of things to say, especially when you're not planning a sermon or anything. You're just like, okay, you want to give your life to Christ? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And, they, and all six said yes. Wow. I'm like, wow, okay. So we prayed and we led them to, to uh, Jesus. And, and then uh, as, I, as I looked up, I was, the, the girl that walked in, the, the girl number six that no one knew, I just felt this strange attraction to her. And so I don't remember what happened or what I said, but then I heard this voice say to me, baptize her. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't know what that means. I'm like, I've never baptized anybody. I don't know how to do it. And there's no water. Just, and then I heard him baptize her now. So I said, hey, 
This is what God, I think what God is saying. And so they, we found a pot and somebody ran out and got water and we went out in the alley in front of all these girls in the red light district. And, you know, all these girls in these little rooms and, and all this commotion going on and guys walking by. And, and I said, well, I got bent over and I poured this water on her head and I said, I baptize you. And, and uh, I remember thinking, I hope this really takes because I don't, I've never done that. <laughs> then I remembered somebody saying, oh, yeah, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then, <laughs> then, and then she stands up, and I'm not exaggerating. She has this glow, and she smiles. And it's like the whole alley lit up. There was something that transpired. And I was so taken by this. And it's, that I, could, you just, I remember like it was yesterday just looking at her. And then words come out of my mouth, are you ready to leave? Can you leave tonight? And she said, yeah. And so I said, go back and get, oh, let me go back, sorry. I misstated that. I said, is it safe for you to leave tonight? She said, yes, my owner is not here. And that's when it really dawned on me, my owner. I am owned by someone. It's like, oh my gosh. All right, go get your stuff and come back. And, so she came back and she had a little Walmart shopping bag about that size and all her worldly possessions were in this one Walmart bag. And what we found out was she was 16 years old. She'd been there five years. So five years, all of her possessions here, but more importantly, she had no family. So for five years, she endured a living hell every night, every day, being raped constantly and, and uh, to come learn, the, you know, to hear of her story. Yeah, you just... Uh... I think we all just need a collective pause, to be honest, Pat. I know you tell these stories all the time, and I know we have limited time, but, man, like 11. 11. Man, if that, like, doesn't just rip at your heart, like, to go, what can I do? And this is just one of thousands. Okay, so you... Uh, she brings all of her worldly possessions in a Walmart sack. <laughs> then what? We, we start walking out, going back to our car, and I remember thinking, what in the world are we doing with this girl tonight? <laughs> I had no plans. This was not planned. And, uh, and so we've, you know, we uh, arranged for her to stay at, the, at this office for a couple days, and then we found a apartment for her. And that was in December. I went back in January, and we got our second girl. And then it was back in March, and we got five more girls. And so, but what I really, the, the thing about the story is that the girl said yes. And I believe the word yes is the most powerful word in the English language because the word yes can change the world. world can, yes can change the destiny. And the word yes can put you into the ultimate plan that God has for your life if you're not living it right now. And if you're not, just you, all you have to say is yes, God, period don't need to say no anything more just yes god i'm available i i'm just in awe every single time i've heard you tell the story so many times but now i'm just so in awe that you are i don't know getting off the plane and you meet this guy and then less than 24 hours later you've birthed this ministry that you don't even really know that you birthed the ministry and i love what i think is so inspiring for all of us is that you said yes she said yes but you had to say yes. And because you said yes, then all of these girls... Now, let's, let's talk about this. So there was a brothel there. Tell them, tell them what you've done with this brothel in the middle of this red light district. 
So we um, are looking at ways of how do we get more girls rescued out of this red light district. So we said, when we started, let's, let's say 15,000, that's our goal. We wanna get 15,000 girls out of here. So we had eight homes and um, it was getting expensive and we real, you know, it was obvious we weren't gonna get there that way. So we decided to create a vocational training school for girls that are still in the red light district, but we had to find a place. And the only place we could find was a brothel in the middle of the red light district. So we bought that thing and we turned it into a vocational training school, a church and a counseling center for girls who are red light district mm who come through our program, a vocational training program, now we've had over 600 plus girls graduate. Lee, I mean, look at this, we have a graduation picture, the graduation picture of these girls. Like, come on, let's celebrate, that is amazing. Like, and this one girl that you rescued, um, and I think another girl, you, you've actually been in, one wedding, more weddings? Like, tell, tell us about I this. I've had about eight, eight weddings now, though, where the girls actually asked my wife and I, to, would you walk us down the aisle because you're the only parents I've ever known? So that was, it's just like, it's like a blessing from God. It's, and the first girl that you rescued, is she in, in this yes, picture? Yes, she's on the one on the right. That's my wife. And, uh, and then that's, her name's Yodit. And so Yodit works for us uh, full-time. She's married. And then, yes, she is like the third girl. So the first four, three girls we rescued all got married on the same day. And we got to be the parents for all of them. <laughs> I can tell you this, paying for a wedding in Ethiopia is a lot cheaper than one in St. Louis. When my daughter got married, like, oh, <laughs> Lord. So these girls now, and then you're also, you're teaching them a trade. So, to, I mean, it's not just that you're rescuing them, but you're helping them to get back on their feet. What kinds of things are these girls learning and doing? And uh, hairdressing, sewing. For us, it's important that they can go out the next day and find a job in the community where they live or their village. So we got sewing, hairdressing, computer skills, weaving, uh, catering, and there's another one. I always I can never remember all of them, but um, about 78% of the girls that graduate go out the next day and start a full-time job because now we've developed an internship program for the girls. So like their last 30 days in Mercy Chapel, they're actually working in a place and we teach them how to work, be on time for work, and all of that. And, and uh, so God's just blessed the program. This is an understatement, Pat. God's blessed the program. I mean, you, <laughs> so you, 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 you buy up the brothel. You start rescuing these girls. You're like, okay, they need a place to go. And so they, uh, you build this as a $2 million building? What is it? I don't remember how much money we, this, this, this insane, this is what yeah. they have built for <laughs> these girls. Is it? Look at that. This is, for, by Ethiopia standards, this is like the Taj Mahal. It's amazing. It is a, um, it's, it's a home for 100 girls, and it'll house 100 girls, about 40 kids, and then a full-time staff of about 30 that will live around the clock there. And so that's the home, and so the, next to it is going to be a rental uh, a commercial building that we have, we're going to put a vocational training school in there, and then it's going to be eight stories, and we're going to use the rest for a rental income to pay for the operating cost of this, but not only paying the operating cost, it's gonna help create jobs in the community, but here's the beautiful thing, these girls are untouchable. I'm sorry, I talk really fast. These girls are untouchable. Even the church, when we started, came to us and said, you can't go in that red light district, what's wrong with that sin, they're prostitutes. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna punch this guy, I'm gonna lay hands on him, I'm punch. <laughs> it was a pastor that said that to me. And what? Like, yeah, it's a pastor, I'm like, oh man. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, so knowing all of this. Wait, it's, okay, stop. What? <laughs> well, be, because we don't, this is the thing, okay, so it's a little raw, but um, 
we just kind of shield ourselves in the church and think that kind of thing doesn't exist anymore. Like, a pastor would never say that. Like, and let me tell you why we all think that. Because, and if you're brand new, because that ain't this type of church. That it, 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 listen, you might be prostituting yourself right now. Welcome to the grace and the mercy Amen. of God. Yes, yes. Okay? That, <laughs> that's who our Savior is. I'm preaching again, I'm sorry. But that's the, that's the red letters. I, I don't, that's bizarre to us. And I think that's why I think, man, we've got to get out of the seats. God is counting on you and I to do what we do naturally, what, the way we naturally think that it's not just the, oh, man, Pat, come on. It's not just the world that d is doing this. The church is doing it. That's sick. That's awful. God, for, God forgive us that we, words like that would come out of our mouth. I'm sorry. I'm just, that's. I guess because I'm a pastor, I'm all worked up now. I'm just like, where is he? I'll lay hands on him. <laughs> that is frustrating. Uh, that is not who we are. And if you've ever thought that, if you've ever thought that, man, God forgive us. If you've ever been treated like that by a, by a believer, God forgive us and God forgive that person. And may you, may you forgive us as a church for what's been done to you. Because God's grace and mercy is for all. Thank you, Pat, for what you're doing to, to take that love of Christ to these girls. Um, one of the uh, hardest. So um, it's really weird. I was telling a guy this week, I go, he goes, man, I just never cry. And I go, well, I went through menopause, so I cry all the time now. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I cry because I've been broken because uh, God broke me a couple years ago with something really devastating in my family, and He just broke me, and and He He took a hammer to my heart. But when He took it, when this hammer or the world took a hammer to my heart, when the enemy took a hammer to my heart, God actually used it as a meat tenderizer, and He tenderized my heart. But when we were going down there, I remember you just pointing out the bus depot and saying, uh, "So this is where the girls uh, get off the bus as young as." How, how young are they at times? Uh, youngest there in Ethiopia was nine years old, but in Cambodia we had girls from four to 12 years of age in our homes. So they get off the bus because they've been sent in from the villages to find work. Their families can't feed them, and they're like, they just show up on this bus, and then there's a man, an evil man. Uh, there's the devil standing there waiting for these girls when they get off the bus, and say, they say, hey, I can take care of you. I can provide for you. I can help you. Give them money. And they're enslaved. And what's crazy is they walk across the street to where, um, describe the, uh, it's, it's, it's a narrow alley that you go down and it's just room after room after room, but it's all made out of sheet metal. It's just. Just corrugated metal and it's, they're about six feet wide, maybe in about eight feet deep. Enough room for a bed and a table. And there's one after the other after the other. And there's thousands of girls living like that next to each other. And so you're doing that. If that's not enough, you, you have this, this, you, this word yes that you, you told me last night, the most powerful word, which you mentioned just a moment ago. You just keep saying yes and yes and yes, but you're also gone into some of the poorest areas where children are starving to death. They are going to die if they do not get a meal. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, we, um, how we started was... I saw a headline 
it said 14 million Ethiopians were at death by risk, or were at risk of death by starvation. And so I ended up in Ethiopia, and long story short, for the first time in my life, I've seen children that we've all seen in, on TV, and the sticks and bones and the skeletons, and I saw them. But what was different was I got to hold them and touch them and smell them and see them. And this is real. This is not a TV thing, you know? And that's one of the girls there. And uh, there's another girl. That's Asha. She passed away two days after that picture. But it was one of those things was like, well, we can't doing, you know, we have a saying in crisis aid is doing nothing is no longer an option. And the other was saying we have is, is we refuse to do nothing. And so we look at the situation where we find ourselves and we figure out what do we need to do mm. and we start the first steps and god just always leads us doing nothing is no longer an option we should adopt that phrase turn to somebody and tell them doing nothing is no longer an option how many of us and i'm not saying you have to get on a plane to ethiopia but how many of us go wait a minute i mean i just the way you say things are so matter of fact i it just blows me away because you're like, uh, so I saw 14 million kids were starving, and so I got on a plane, went to Ethiopia, and I started helping them. I mean, it, but what I like is that you, what was it? What was it? You see that, because I, I think for, here's what we're trying to get said today, too, is God may be moving on you to get involved with Crisis Aid, 111 Project, I Am Not Forgotten. That's amazing. But the point of this day is for you to say yes to whatever God plants in you. And to not second guess it anymore. Well, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just get worked up emotionally. I don't know if you can even help with this, but you look at this headline. What is it that caused you to go, I need to get on a plane, I need to go to Ethiopia, and I need to do something to help these children? Can you describe that? It was, um, I just, it was one of those things where I just had this, um, it was like an impulse from God. It wasn't a, the wasn't the voice of God. I just felt like go, you know, just go. Didn't make a bit of sense. It did to me at that point because we'd been working then uh, up at that point in Sudan and South Sudan and Afghanistan. So when I read that and I felt that in my heart, I just knew that I had to go. So I showed up 30 days. Now, don't think it takes a lot of preparation because it doesn't because sometimes all of our preparation gets in the way of God. He's got to kind of move us out of the way and go, I got a better work for you than what you've prepared yourself. So if you, feel, if you don't feel you're prepared to be used by God, you're probably in the best spot you could possibly ever be. Mm. So I just showed up with a uh, phone number on a little yellow post-it note in, in Addis Ababa. That's all I had, and I didn't know a soul, not a soul. Thank God I, I typically lose things. So thank God, like if you work for me, if you work for me, you give me the original and I lose it, you're fired. <laughs> That's the rule. And so um, thank God I didn't lose it because I don't know what I would have done. It was just a phone number and I just showed up and I dialed the phone and, and one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And, and amazing things have happened. But I just want to... Nobody does that, Pat. Like, no, well, <laughs> come on now. How many of you are like, oh, so I'm going to get on a plane. I got a post-it note. So what's your plan? What's your grand plan? I got a post-it note. Uh, but one of the things as you're saying all this that's coming to my mind and I feel so strongly about is that we sit around and we second guess and we wonder, you know, well, is this God wanting me to do this? Like, I don't know, help somebody. You don't have to second guess that. If you have this impulse like you talk about or, or you feel in sense that God's put something in you and you're like, that's a need that needs to be met, step in and meet it because 
yes, that is, that's the will of God. Like that, the will of God is to do good and make a difference in this world and help the vulnerable and bring justice and mercy and his grace and his compassion to the world. So just say, oh, there's the need. That's what I hear you, you did is that God didn't, you're like, okay, I'll figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like this. It's, it's a very spiritual thing to pray, but we lose sight of the fact it's just as spiritual to act. Is it not? Did Jesus not say, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these. He was talking, if we, it, Matthew 25, he says, okay, so on judgment day, now get that, on judgment day, he said, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't clothe me. Or I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you clothed me, and, and, and all of that. And then they said to him, well, we, didn't have, we never saw you that way. And Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. Do you get that? We did it for Jesus. It was for the least, no matter what it is. So to act, that, that what he's saying is act. he's rewarding action. Mm -hmm. It's just as spiritual to act, maybe more spiritual to act, because we get caught up in our prayers so much. Well, I, I can tell you why we need to act. I, I, I absolutely believe in this. So, so many times we're sitting around and we're like, I'm praying about it, and I'm praying about it, and I'm praying about it. And what we have to remember is there are needs all over this city. There's needs right across the street. There's a need right across the desk from you at work. There's a need on your campus with somebody that you're next to. I mean, there's, there's needs everywhere. And here's what's happening. People, they're not followers of Jesus, or they are followers of Jesus, and they're praying. Like the girls. God would would you help me? And, and what we need to do is not be praying, but we need to be the answer to the prayer. Does that make sense? Somebody is praying, and you're the answer. You don't have to pray about it because you're the answer to that prayer. So one of the things I want to give you an opportunity to do, and I don't know what you're going to do with this, Pat, but, I mean, our people can handle it just about anything. Last night when we were talking, um, and we were talking about the American church and, and just sitting and how complacent we've become and, and what I want you to know is you're in a room of a bunch of tough people, thick-skinned people, not easily offended people. Amen? And uh, when you spoke last night, it was so convicting to me personally. Uh, and I don't know how you want to say this, but you say it as raw and unfiltered as you want. Uh, but talk about this, 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 this um, righteous anger, this holy discontent that you have about what's happening in our world and what's happening in the American church and what we need to do about it. Um, I have this belief that being a Christian should be the greatest adventure on the planet and to live my life in any other fashion would be a slap in the face to my God because he created us to be that. He did not create us to come into a church on Sunday, and I'm just going to be blind. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the church in America, and play church on Sunday morning and go back out into the world for the rest of the week. He created the church for us to come in on Sunday morning to get filled out so we can leave and become the church for the rest of the week. Mm. We flipped it around. The condition of our nation is not good. Look at what is happening, mm. but you know whose fault that is? It's the church's fault in America. It's because we have allowed the, instead of us affecting change in the community, 
we've allowed them to come in and affect change in us. Mm. And we're not, we've abdicated our responsibilities to say, well, I'm too busy, or I'm not called, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. It, it's us, it's us as a church. I'm not blaming people, I'm just, us as the body of Christ have failed to do what God has called us to do. And I say that's living proof because go out and look what in the world is going on in our, just on our nation. And I'm gonna ask you a question that someone asked me, a guy named Brother Andrew asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Pat, why do you think God chose to have you be born at this time in human history in the most wealthy, most prosperous, most influential nation in the history of mankind, why did God put you in the center of that nation at this point in time? I'm going to turn around, and, I'm, and I know what it's done for me. I'm going to say the same question for you. Think about that when you're alone, and you're alone time for God, and ask him, and then see what's yearning in your heart. And I feel that, um, let me say it like, let me... We know the story about the two blind men and Jesus walking down the road, and the two blind men were there, and, and they were saying, oh, you know, Lord, 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 and people were trying to shut them, you know, shut them up. And Jesus stopped, and he heard them, and he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, we want to receive our sight, Lord, and he made them be able to see. Well, there were two things about that I think, as I think about that. One, Jesus already knew what they wanted. You know, he, he knew, but yet he made them state what they wanted. Number one, key in prayer. What do you want? Just tell God what you want. It doesn't matter what it is. Tell God what you want. But number two, what if those people would have said to him, we want a cane so we can walk? Hmm. He would have gave him a cane. And then there would not have been a story to glorify God, to glorify Jesus, because he made two blind men see. A miracle of two blind men seeing happened because they asked for a miracle. They didn't ask for a cane. If they asked for a cane, the story would have been a totally different story. Mm. And so are we living our lives like that? Are we asking for a cane when we should be asking for our sight? I know I was, and I know I honestly, I still do to this day. I, I pull back so many times and think, whoa, you know, it's like we have a saying in, in uh, the best decisions are made in the field, not in the office. <laughs> because everything you see, if I was sitting in an office, I'd have said, no, we don't have the money. I mean, right. we built that home for, for $2 million. When we started at home, we had $400,000 seen in a bank account, not knowing what we were going to do, where, where it was going to come. But it was like, we need to start this home mm -hmm. and just depend upon God. And every time we needed a $100,000 or we need a $400,000 payment for the contract, the money came in. We built that home debt-free, and we didn't have the money when we started it. And I didn't know. I had, honestly, I did not know where it was going to come from. And those are the things that are waiting for you, too, for God will do these things for you because, you know what? Too many people say, I'm waiting to hear the will of God. I'm waiting to hear the will of God. I'm waiting for God to turn the light green, change your perspective, because I will promise you this. The light you're waiting to turn green is already green. It's not red. God's waiting on you to do one thing. Stand up and say, yes, Lord, I'm available. Hmm. Wow. And then see what God does. So I want to invite our, our worship team to come. And as they're coming, um, I, I, I'm thinking 
back at that uh, when you took Laura and I down to the red light district. And I'm thinking about that bus depot. And I'm thinking how many girls didn't have to end up in that red light district if the church got out of the seats, if the church was doing what we were called to do. And I really think what God is calling all of us to do is not just go into the red light districts of this world, uh, into the broken places of this world, but I think God is also calling you and I to show up at the bus stops before people even end up there, to stand in the gap for these people. And what I don't want us to do today is leave and go, yay, Pat, you know, yay, Todd and Jody, go get them. Phil, one of the great sins of the church is when we talk about how great our church is and all the things that our church is doing, and we're not doing anything. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man, and our church, we do this, and we do this, and man, we do this, and so tell me, tell me what you do. Oh, um, well, I, like, oh, is there something else I'm supposed to be doing? And I believe that God, in this moment, this morning, is going to do something supernaturally in your soul and in your heart and your mind and ignite you into doing something that you could never imagine. The one thing I've learned from Pat is this. Don't put limits on God. Um, how many millions are you believing God for that you were praying for on the plane here? How many millions? Ten million. Because <laughs> you want to do more. There's yeah. so oh, much yeah. more you want to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. It's and, like, God, you owe me $10 million. I need it now. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that take the limit off. Just pray as big as you can pray. And let God walk that out. Can we pray for Pat? And I want to pray for all of us. Father, in this moment, we ask that your spirit would speak to us, confirm in us what the work that you're wanting to do. And we thank you for Pat and crisis aid. And we we pray, Father, for strength for him, physical, emotional, mental strength This as he goes into some of the most vulnerable places, some of the most broken places in our world. We, we pray for his team and men and women whose names we will never, ever know who right now are, are on, on the streets trying to help. God, we pray right now for those girls in Ethiopia that uh, with the time difference, they're getting off buses. I don't know how you're going to do this, God, but would you awaken men and women in Ethiopia? Would you awaken us to show up at the bus stop first? Help us to show up at the bus stop first. and Show people how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. And would you just thank Pat, and let's just uh, let him know how much we appreciate his ministry. Thank you so much, Pat.